Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. And welcome to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. I'm Siobhan Ivers. I chair the Compliance Institute's FinTech and Payments Working Group, and I'm the Director of Global Compliance at Etsy. And it's a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. From disrupting traditional banking to revolutionizing payment systems and reshaping investment strategies, fintech is at the forefront of transforming how we interact with money and financial services. In this episode, we'll delve into the careers of professionals who have carved their paths in fintech. And I'm so delighted to welcome Michelle McGuire, who's head of risk and compliance at Validate Me, and Greg James, who's a senior manager at FSCOM. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Michelle and Greg, and thank you for talking to us today. Today, we're going to try and uncover skills, experiences and insight that drive success in fintech, while also exploring latest trends, challenges that make this sector so compelling. I thought maybe it would be good to start with kind of broad definition of fintech. So looking at a couple of different academic definitions, one that I particularly like is fintech is technology used to provide financial markets, a financial product or financial services characterized by sophisticated technology relative to the existing technology in that market. So having set that kind of basis of definition and uh, maybe we'll jump into talking about your own careers Michelle and Greg so Michelle if good for you can you tell me a little bit about your role at Validate Me? Yeah thanks Siobhan so currently I'm the head of risk and compliance at Validate Me um, and as you would expect I guess it's quite a varied role um, we are a scaling up company so very much still in hands-on deck mode but you know as a, as the head of risk and compliance I cover the core compliance fundamentals, our ISO accreditations, our information security management, um, our internal compliance policies and practices. Um, I engage with our clients because we are obviously selling into regulated financial services. So there is a degree of comfort for our clients that we have compliance uh, staff in Validate Me. Um, and Beyond that, obviously, like everything else, I get involved in product uh, design, product delivery. Um, I use my background and my experience um, to work with the product teams to make sure that the product resembles something that our clients need and captures all the legal and regulatory requirements. Um, and beyond that, obviously, I, I train staff, I mentor our staff, um, I review contracts. And so jack of all trades at the moment, really, to be honest, but that's the beauty of, of a company that's in a, in a very aggressive growth stage. Sounds very exciting and very challenging. Greg, maybe tell us a little bit about your current role. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Siobhan. So yeah, I, I'm Greg James. Uh, I'm a senior manager with FSCOM. For those of you who don't know, FSCOM is a governance, risk and compliance consultancy company that has 
quite a lot of experience dealing with fintechs. So a little bit of an imposter here today. Um, I do not work for a fintech, but a vast majority of my clients would be fintech. So I think I can bring quite a, quite a bit to this conversation. Principally, consultancy is, is a little different from in-house roles, and that is that you'd be doing a lot of different projects, and that would be your business as usual, and you'd be doing the less business as usual as you would see in, in typical in-house roles, you know, sanction checks, TM, things like that. Very much more based on getting a certain project and, and working that project. So it is a little different from what you would typically see, but, you know, it, it interesting in, in its own right. Governance risk and compliance consultancy is is quite an interesting area in the sense that, uh, and similarly to, to an in-house role in that you're, you're working quite a few different points, right? It, it isn't just legal. It isn't just assessing risk. It isn't just corporate governance. It's all of them, right? Um, and obviously, that that results in quite quite a varied approach to to the average workday. So that's yeah, just a little, little bit about myself and and my current role. Very good. I suppose I'm always interested to hear how people ended up in their current role or how you landed in fintech. I think for me personally. I had worked in traditional financial services and was just looking for something different. Um, and thus I took a role at Facebook, which you couldn't get more different from traditional financial services. I suppose, Michelle, tell me, how how did you end up in a fintech role? A bit like yourself, Siobhan, I, I guess, was in traditional financial services for a very long time. And I did everything from um, I worked in a legal department of a bank. Um, I worked in anti-money laundering for a few years. Um, and then I sort of found myself naturally migrating into risk governance and compliance with uh, Morgan Stanley. Um, and I was with them for quite a long time. And to be honest, I was sort of fed up of, of the commute um, and I really needed a change. And um a opportunity came up with a reg tech um, based locally to where I live. It was certainly a leap of faith. Um, it was a salary cut, I'm not going to lie, but it suited my sort of uh, my personal needs at the time. Um, and the, the irony of this is I was the world's biggest technophobe. You know, I was very much, you know, the, the compliance person. Technology was IT's problem, not mine. I, you know, somebody else could fix it and I could keep on working. So I, I sort of fell into it as often happens for most people. And um, so I spent almost five years with uh, Gecko Governance um, and coming toward the end of my time, um, I decided I was pregnant at the time and I decided I was going to take some time out um, and I just, you know, kind of recharge and spend time with my new family and um my little boy is the reason why I ended up in this this role and my current role of validate me um I was scrolling at 2 a.m one morning on LinkedIn as as everybody does um I was doing a night feed and um, I was trying to entertain myself a little bit and Kieran Corkery our one of our co-founders had posted about that they were growing their team and I'd been keeping an eye on Validate Me. I was fascinated on the digital ID and the reusable identity, the biometrics that they were using. It was all very cutting edge, quite sexy, not going to lie. Um, and I sent a message and I just said, you know, really interested in hearing about what you guys are doing, what your plans are. Um, and he answered me back quite swiftly. And I thought, okay, he's either doing a night feed or he's an insomniac, but turned out he was in New York. Um, so at uh, and that's how I ended up in the role. In the dead of the night, I sent a message. And um, here I am now, almost a year later, had a risk of compliance for Validate Me. That's a really good story. I've got to get myself on LinkedIn at 2 a.m., clearly. <laughs> Greg, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in your current role. Yeah, so I, I think similarly 
to Michelle, it was sort of accidentally, you, you, you fall into a kind of compliance role and life sort of um, takes you on a journey from there. It, you know, if, ten, it was by 10 years ago, I, I entered the financial services industry. That was very much sort of a placeholder at the time. I did politics in uni. Uh, as you'd imagine, um, financial services and politics aren't exactly hand-holding and, uh, and they, very relevant to each other and sort of came out of uni and was looking for looking for something a bit more permanent a bit more well so, so, something that you could actually get a career in rather than politics right so <laughs> uh, i i that that was really my my start in financial services uh, i worked for a retail bank for about four or five years and then as sort of interacting with it in a retail bank you start to hear a few fintech names getting thrown about as competition uh revolute uh monzo you start to hear all these names start to filter through as that started to happen i sort of took more of an interest in what where you know financial services was going what fintech was to to traditional retail banks and and where where the market was going um and from that i happened to just by absolute chance, uh, apply for a graduate role in FSCOM. And six years later, uh, a couple of promotions, and here I am <laughs> still, still in FSCOM. So, you know, it, it, it is very much um, financial services as almost like a layover. Uh, well, I tried to work out my life and then found fintech and kind of just loved it from there and stuck around. And now, unfortunately, the fintech world has stuck with me. I suppose I'm going to ask you, Michelle, what advice would you have for somebody trying to break into fintech? So all of us, I suppose, on this podcast, we've all kind of migrated in. But what advice would you give someone now who's like purposely trying to break into fintech? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I think with fintech, for the traditional compliance officer, it's really important to remember we service our partner um, with regulated institutions. So the skills that you have are, you know, uniquely transferable. You know, you're, you know, you've worked with the data protection and cyber and, you know, risk and compliance. All those areas apply in fintech. We, you know, some need to be regulated, some don't, um, but we need to apply these concepts so that our clients get comfortable with us. So, you know, you're you're transferring all the skills that you have in those roles um, to fintech. It is a, a different beast. It's it's very different from traditional finance. There's a whole other world of acronyms, a whole other world of, of technology um, and learning that comes with it. And I think if you're going into a smaller company, you need to be prepared to kind of roll the sleeves up, shoulder to the wheel sort of thing and get involved because everybody is working towards the common goal of making the fintech a success. So you're your job title, you know, while is appropriate for your skill set, you might find you're doing other things in the organization um, or you might have input in other things in the organization. So be open minded is, is the first thing I would say. Um, you know, in my last job with Gecko Governance, I was buying toilet roll and, you know, doing payroll, <laughs> neither neither of which naturally fall in a, you know, head of risk and compliance sort of definition, you know, but um, you just have to realize that you have to go along with it. But in selling yourself, I think networking is important, um, upskilling, education, um, you know, being curious, um, asking questions, getting involved in projects in your workplace that expose you to technology will all help you in the long run to, to kind of migrate to fintech you know there are plenty of jobs in the sector but it's you know because it is nascent it's still relatively new even though it's 
you know, we can argue all day about whether the, the concept has existed forever, um, but the, the, the current iteration of fintech, it's relatively new. So it's about selling yourself, you know, best foot forward, um, showing an interest in technology, upskilling um, and, and kind of familiarizing yourself, particularly with newer technologies like biometrics, like AI, machine learning, all these things that are shaping the future of the compliance officer are happening right now. Greg, how about you in terms of advice for somebody trying to break into fintech? You see lots of obviously fintech clients. What what advice would you give? So sort of just to kind of pick up from Michelle's point, fintechs are always future looking, right? Uh, And every company is, but fintechs, absolutely so. And especially when it comes to the application of technology and how that can be an enabler for their business model. And what you will want to do in order to sort of set yourself out there and to kind of break into that is to show an awareness of it, show an awareness uh, of the development of AI and how that might be used to improve the current processes that are so so uh, difficult in a traditional um, compliance setting, solve traditional problems with technology and, and and that is one of the sort of the key tenets of fintech is can we solve it with technology or can we not um, and obviously ai is one of those areas where we've started to reevaluate traditional areas we couldn't solve with technology actually can we can we use that to to whether solve it or enable it to to a further level you know really depends but yes that that's really what we're what we're looking at and as you show awareness of that that will obviously help you set yourself out um, from from the crowd. Michelle also t- touched on there, uh, networking. Uh, so there, there is a lot of networking events that go on in, in Ireland, um, especially in Dublin, but there's definitely expansions uh, towards other cities around Ireland. And it is absolutely worth going to those. It is absolutely worth having your face seen there, starting to recognize some of the um, kind of common players you'll see in those areas and, and sort, sort of ingratiating yourself into those uh, into those circles, because that will, of course, that will put you on people's radar. And where you're on people's radar, that, that will help you break into a sector where those incumbents will, will effectively uh, assist in that. I think that's a great point, Greg, that FinTech really is a community. You know, it's, it's, still relatively small um, in in the Irish sense, you know, that you, you will start, as you start attending these events, you start seeing the same faces or the same people. Um, and, you know, with the beauty, it, particularly with the, the startup scale up is we all like to help each other, you know, so it's, I've, if somebody comes to me and says, you know, Michelle, I'd really like to get into the sector and perhaps we're not hiring, but I know another company that is, you know, and, and using that and, and expanding your network that way sometimes makes getting into fintech that that little bit easier um and i guess we should say is in fintech sometimes the hiring techniques are not necessarily as traditional as they would be in traditional financial services you know there there is a bit more of a cultural aspect is this person the right fit you know can can they go the extra mile you know will they wash their coffee cup you know these are the things that um you know they look at so by kind of getting into the network and, and um, at the community and, and starting to kind of get involved certainly will help open the doors into, into the fintechs. Fintechs are sometimes quite quite small companies, okay? So whenever you are hiring, you can see why they would focus more on the, on, on the culture side of things because 
it, it's not where you would you know come into a massive retail bank and you interact with your manager and you might interact with a few other teams across the board but actually you're you're, you're almost slightly um you don't really see the board you don't see senior management you don't see sort of that that other area of the of the company whereas whenever you're in a smaller fintech you're sitting beside the ceo you're sitting beside uh, the head of operations right uh, and it's absolutely key that 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 culture is there right they 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 know that they can work with you uh, and that that is really what one of the, those key drivers obviously fintechs have started to explode in size so that that kind of uh, intimacy is is not there for for all of them and rightfully so you know there's, there's only so much you you can kind of achieve after a certain point but it, it is one of those kind of subtleties that you would find in, in many fintechs that you wouldn't necessarily find in traditional financial services Okay, we might pivot away maybe from the environment in fintech and talk a little bit about the qualifications and professional education that has helped you or uh, that might help somebody moving into fintech. So I suppose, Michelle, what, what kind of qualifications have helped you in your fintech career? You know, education has been transformative for me I studied law that that's my original discipline um, and that in itself opens a huge amount of doors ironically nobody told me all those years ago compliance was a career in fact when I started in compliance if you will we were the business prevention unit we weren't really the I guess the tour de force we are now in, in organizations. And since I, you know, graduated, I went on and I did a financial law specialty. I did, um, you know, a multitude of courses with the ACOI or the Compliance Institute as it is now. Um, and during COVID, I, you know, I thought, right, I need to do something productive with my time. We're all stuck at home, of course. Um, and I said, right, I saw this course um, that at PAT Business School was doing on fintech risk and compliance. Um, and the Compliance Institute obviously was involved in that. And I said, you know what, I'll do that. It's an area I'm working in. It's an area I'm interested in, and it can't hurt to have this qualification. As luck would have it, I went from student to teacher. Um, for some reason, they they asked me to come back and teach on that particular course. So I I was the first one of the first graduates of the fintech and uh, risk and compliance course, which has now become a bachelor's degree, which is absolutely wonderful. So there there's steps to you know to getting to that point, and you know there. Compliance Institute now is offering a multitude of kind of micro creds and smaller courses on Dora, for example. Picking these up, I know it's an investment of time. It's an investment, you know, of, it could be six to eight weeks or it certainly could be 24 weeks in academic year. But getting those on my CV has been, you know, transformative for me. But there's other benefits with professional education and ongoing education. As I said, I went from student to teacher and I, that was only possible by using the network and leaning on people and, you know, working alongside the people. And this bearing in mind was in COVID, so we were all remote. We weren't in classrooms. We were making the most of a terrible situation. So networking through, you know, video call, et cetera. And that has been hugely helpful for me and I think fundamental to, to where I've got to at this particular point of my career. Fantastic. And congratulations. That's a, an amazing achievement. Greg, tell me a little bit about your professional development. Well, what can only be described as a, as a journey. So, yeah, I mean, uh, as I said previously, I did, I did politics, although there are obviously some relevant skills when it comes to communication, etc. There, it's not the most natural marriage in the world. When I came to, to, to FSCOM, I, I started to look into more relevant 
education paths. And the one that came up uh, for myself after a few years of experience was uh, the Masters in Compliance through, well, the, the Compliance Institute and accredited by um, UCD. And, and that really, really helped cement some of the key theoretical and fundamental aspects of of, of compliance. And for, for somebody who came from not necessarily a compliance background, it was, it was something that, that I absolutely needed. Uh, and that forms effectively a base for, for everything I do. And although, you know, there's there's always a point with, with education, it can only teach you so much and you, you need to go out there and you need to get the experience. And although that's true, there's not a day goes by that I don't I don't utilize some aspect of that of that education. What what was the kind of the uh, apparently I have a, a a real need for um, kind of self punishment and I did that before COVID. So I had to go down to the classes every Saturday. Um, so a few hours down on the train uh, at about six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Um, after working a five day week, and in consultancy sometimes a six or seven day week, and kind of coming into the class. So I mean COVID you know, did truly help me there with the remote lessons. So that is an option, those remote lessons, and, and I, I think are kind of key for, for helping drive that education. And, um, you know, it, 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 cert- it certainly helped me <laughs> from, from that perspective. That's really interesting. Um, the, the COVID lens, I, I also took up, uh, decided to do a master's during COVID. And I think it was just the perfect time because for me, it would be really challenging to be, I have two children, to be in class two nights a week or you know or one night a week even so COVID I suppose for me was an opportunity almost to do something I'd wanted to do for a while. I do absolutely appreciate the the kind of face-to-face aspect of education but that flexibility remote education can give you is 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 so key to that. We're seeing now there's a lot more educational providers going remote first not going to lie I do I did miss the, the kind of classroom aspect a little bit. But um what I what I would say is it's it's kind of opened this education up to the entire country. So Greg, you said there you went from Belfast to Dublin. That's no easy feat at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. It's opening doors to people who would want to do these courses but would find getting themselves to say Dublin um quite difficult. So the, the remote aspect is is very, very welcome. It just presents a little few challenges in terms of getting to know your peers and things like that. But I do think the providers, the Compliance Institute, PAT Business School, they're doing a great job in harnessing groups and getting, you know, organizing meetups away from the classroom and, you know, kind of keeping communication going. So even the educational providers have gone through a digital transformation like our clients are going through right now. You know, they adapted to the force of change quite rapidly. They had no choice we're sort of seeing exactly the same with our client bases they're adapting to a force of change that that you know has to happen so i think the opportunity is easier now than dragging yourself at 6am <laughs> to to a classroom but obviously it is an investment of time so when i i find students that i teach when they are doing these courses they're invested they really want to do them they're making it work with their busy lives and um, so anybody who is taking up these courses you know they are very clearly investing in their career but it's finding the right course for you i think is really important or where you want to take your your career there's a lot out there there's a lot to digest so looking at your own developmental you know kind of requirements and work obviously you've got your own 
um, you know, kind of review process in that in organizations, what will get you to the next level and pitching that to a course or kind of matching that to a course will help your learning and development. But obviously away from that, your own personal desire, if you do want to move into another role, look at what might get you there. Dora is obviously something that's going to fundamentally impact all industries, fintech and traditional, um, in the next kind of, you know, 6, 12, 24 months. Um, and there's a lot of offerings out there. So finding the right one for you is equally as important as actually doing the course. And I think being able to communicate that as well internally, if you're looking for internal support in your role uh, for a course, showing your manager how it can benefit, you know, you in your role. And I think for me personally, I'm always doing something. I just seem drawn to continuing education. I, I think I'll be 90 and I'll still be taking a course somewhere. But I think showing your manager, I know when people come to me, I want to know how it's going to benefit them in their role. And I'm hugely supportive. I always want my team to take on you know, new courses, particularly if they're moving into a new role or they're taking on a new challenge. But being able to communicate to your manager how that course or masters or you know will benefit you in the role that you're you're doing i suppose the benefits of ongoing and we've touched on it a little bit but the benefits of of ongoing education in teams i mean budgets can sometimes be tight in fintech but i mean for me personally i did that masters in ethics last year um i focused on ai i've used research that i've done so many times in my role currently um or even to advise the business i have a much better understanding of the ethics around technology now which has been really really helpful maybe talk to me a little bit Greg about how some of the actual course material has helped you in your role I think actually well one of the key areas interestingly is um smaller fintechs have an issue when it comes to governance right um and if I want to take the best practice governance typically corporate governance code or or something similar that just doesn't work I cannot apply that guidance to a company of 50 people. It just simply does not work. Uh, and it's not proportionate, right? Um, so one of the interesting areas I found was the, the whole aspect of managing for compliance and, and implementing compliance within a company and taking some of the principles of, of good governance, but not necessarily strictly adhering to every single element there, right? Um, because that that is where we need to get to. A lot of the issues that fintechs face is the proportionality point. What is proportionate for my business size and complexity? Uh, size and complexity being as as you know as important as each other there, and that is absolutely key. Well, when I advise the business, but you know internally when you're advising the business on how to structure itself, that that is just a, a invaluable kind of knowledge. And you have people feeding off each other in those in those classes. To, to Michelle's point, that, that sort of dropped off a little whenever everybody went remote, right? Um, but people did feed, feed off each other in that, in that aspect. And that, is, um, that, that's, that was really, really um, good sort of, sort of guidance. Typically, those lessons as well went with Chapman House rules. So in other words, um, speak freely. Nothing in here is going to be used against you, et cetera. It all stays in the room. But having that sounding board and having that um all these different professionals from the area same similar expertise but actually in very different firms gives you such a breadth of understanding of how people have actually approached a problem and you can then tailor that where where appropriate i think that that was one of the key ones uh, i took away from from the course on your on the sort of 
just to kind of jump off from your point as well, Siobhan, uh, whenever I was doing my dissertation, I did it in open banking because it was fairly new at the time. Um, and honestly, it, it, it had quite a low level of compliance, right? Uh, and I think that was because not all of the regulations in there had the intended effect that the regulator really wanted from them. While doing that research, I got to bring that to to clients and kind of speak to them and speak to them about what this has meant for the industry, what they should be looking at and where this kind of legislation could go to help them prep and to help them horizon scan appropriately for it. Very good. And it just shows the practical application of research as well, which is really interesting. Michelle, anything you want to share around how, how you've applied the courses you've done to your role. Greg touched on something quite good there, uh, Chatham House Rules. Um, there's a lot of always wonderful conversations and some of them can get a bit, <laughs> you know, terse, but obviously with professional education, everybody in the room has a level of qualification um, or is working within the industry. And what I always find really useful beyond obviously the materials and the teaching that you were getting was the discussion pieces, you know, so um, there was often like class discussions or group work, you know, where we'd be put in groups and given a problem and and try to to kind of come to the bottom of it or apply what was taught in the class to, you know, a new new structure or somebody was going for authorization with the central bank. And the benefit of other people's experience was really valuable to me. You know, obviously we, it's an open classroom. We talk freely, but with, with the guys that won't affect you or won't won't go beyond the classroom and it was very interesting to me because it was a construct of different types of industries different types of professionals to hear how other organizations were doing things and it was a great source of ideas and inspiration um you know sometimes as a compliance officer it's a a lonely sort of job you're making decisions and you're trying to decide if you're making the right decision and particularly in a fintech it can be on the fly you know you have a short window to make a decision and you're the person that's making it and that's one of the the downsides of the role so what I hugely benefited from was hearing other people's experiences and I was able to take that away and apply that to the organization I was working in and to Greg's point about proportionality the corporate governance exactly some fintechs do it really well, some do it terribly. And sometimes it's not a priority, like because when you're setting up an organization like that, you're, you need to get up and running, you need to get going, you need to build your technology. And there's so many priorities everywhere else that you know people are focused on. Trying to kind of harness and focus attention on, on these things, it's quite difficult. So what I found from the problem solving aspect of professional education was I went with the solution and I'd say, right, Based on what I'm hearing, based on what I'm hearing from my colleagues in the industry and the colleagues in my classes, this is how I think we should approach this. Um, and that was the most efficient way, shall we say, of, of getting these things done. Um, I found a lot of uh, very good soft skills come out of professional education. And they're not, you know, the value of those shouldn't be just diminished because we are seeing a dearth of soft skills, maybe with certain generations um, and COVID, I know we keep going on about this, but it hasn't helped, you know, the, the art of picking up a phone call or, you know, having a discussion that's sort of being lost a little bit. So I find being in a virtual classroom like that and kind of being forced out of your comfort zone brought those sort of skills back. And then I was able to take those and, and apply those to my, my day-to-day job. Excellent. It's really, really interesting. Okay, switching gear a little bit. We've talked about a lot of the positives about working in fintech. Greg, talk to me about some of the challenges. 
Yeah, sure. We had to come to it eventually, didn't we? As you work for, for, for fintechs, it is, to the governance point, it's often not as structured as you might be used to in a traditional financial firm. In a traditional financial firm, you will have a process. You will follow that process to get to the you know, their desired result within their risk appetite. What you find in a fintech is that process isn't necessarily there. And what that means is actually you're developing it. Okay. And that is great from one sense, but that is also quite a lot to 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 sort of take in. That is um, not just compliance knowledge, that is knowledge on the technology that the firm is implementing. That is knowledge on the operational realities of how the firm you know, sort of has structured itself. There's a lot of skill sets that you suddenly have to pull into the equation. I, I think Michelle kind of said at the start, often, you know, you're almost not doing compliance. Um, and I think that that is something that is, um, it's getting better in fintechs, but it, it absolutely must must be kind of called out here. Also within fintechs, there there can be a culture of quite late working, and especially where, where the uh, fintech is actually you know um, based in another country where a different time zone exists. There are you know there there can be difficulties in that in that flexibility and how that that applies to the firm, and that is, I think, one of those areas that you you have to be quite conscious of. Um, if you are going to go into fintech, because it isn't, you know, it can be exciting, it can be, you know, quite um, quite liberating as well. Whenever you get into fintech and you see the speed it goes compared to some of the more traditional financial firms, but you also have to go that speed. Um, compliance can't be seen as everybody stop doing everything. Now there might be times where the risk demands that, but it can't be because you're slower than them, right? It has to be no this is materially incorrect or this is materially risk outside of our risk appetite rather than I cannot keep up with you. Uh, and that is, th- that is quite a difficult sort of point to. I to find that quite challenging myself yeah. over the years. I worked for a company obviously based on the West coast and I traveled a lot and travel sounds very exciting. I think sometimes until we're doing it and then it's not, it's not exciting at all. I have two kids, two dogs, and I don't like being away from home. So I, I find that very challenging. I think it's a great point about the hours. I, I also, you know, I work for um, an international US company and the hours can be challenging. And I think you have to be, you can't hold on to that nine to five or eight to four. It it depends on the day. It depends on the workload. It depends on what's happening. Um, not to say every day is, but I think you have to let go of that structure of a nine to five Monday to Friday type role, and that can be challenging. I think it's good for people to know that coming in into the fintech industry as well. Michelle, maybe you share kind of some of your perspective on on the challenges as well. Yeah, I I think like you, Siobhan, um, I went from very as we said earlier, very traditional role into a reg tech firstly and I'm not going to lie that the first kind of three maybe months you know I was like what the hell have I done um and and not not in in the sense that I made the wrong decision it was I went from an incredibly structured environment um you know there were certain things that just had to get done every day there were processes there were sort of very set hours very kind of structured role my I had my duties and that was a big transition for me to go from 
you know, a highly structured investment banking environment to an organization where you had to be involved in everything. And I, I think as much as, you know, people see fintech that gives great degrees of flexibility, it certainly does. And it can afford you the flexibility you need, but there are times where it can be incredibly inflexible. So I've, you know, I find that kind of transition from kind of structure to unstructured quite difficult because I'd spent most of my career in traditional finance. So it's not always for everybody. And I and I do say this to people, if you are somebody who craves structure, who craves lists, um, you know, to-do lists and checklists and things that you need to get done on a, on a day before you can settle yourself, a fintech may not necessarily be for you. And I, I, I do see a rush. I do see people rushing to want to work in this sector. And I love it. I absolutely love it once I get past that got my head around the change in the environment, but it isn't for everybody. Um, and I have said this to, to people who've asked me about it. You read, really need to think about, can I be flexible and inflexible at the, at the same time? And can I work without guardrails? Some compliance officers can't because we are legal people we're regulatory people you know we we follow rules that's our job um and sometimes you get you growing into a fintech and to greg's point that the governance structure isn't there or the risk frameworks aren't there and you're the person building them but because it's such a busy busy environment trying to harness focus and get people's attention on these things can be quite difficult um and if that's something that you're going to be frustrated by or you know, not be able to kind of work with fintech may not actually be for you. Um, and you mentioned travel, Siobhan. Um, a lot of fintechs have global ambition. Um, it's natural because we're a world without borders now. Um, you know, and we're always looking for the next best jurisdiction, the ne next best business strategy or business model, or what country is adopting technologies more than others. So. You know, you see, you see Irish fintechs competing on a global stage. Um, you know, Enterprise Ireland have done a wonderful job of globalizing Irish technology and Irish-owned companies. But with that comes covering those jurisdictions or traveling to those jurisdictions. So that may not necessarily fit within your personal values or your personal needs or your family requirements. So, um, if a fintech has an eye on a global stage, be aware that you may need to be on that global stage as well. Yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. I think we touched on it earlier, but I'd like to come back to it. Um, it's an area I'm incredibly uncomfortable with is networking. And I think it's really important. We've all talked about making connections, both in professional development courses or at networking events. But talk to me a little bit about networking, how you do it, how it works, advice for people on how to network. And I'm listening intently here. Greg, do you want to go? First, <laughs> for some people, networking is very natural. Okay. What I would say is it is absolutely not natural for me. I, I know more than a few people where it is not, absolutely not natural for so, but it, it, it is, it is a part of the world. It is a part of getting yourself known in the industry, but also, especially in the FinTech world, finding those people that can form part of that network and actually be sounding boards. They could be confidants, what, whatever you want to call it but regardless trying to find those people right because they are absolutely invaluable what what i would say to, to anybody go into networking and it's not your it's not your area it's not what you would naturally see yourself doing is is twofold one if you can get on the panel to do the talking people will come up to you 
uh, and you don't have to initiate a conversation, right? People will talk to you so much easier rather than almost, you know, doing a human cold call and walking up to someone, right? That is obviously not always an option, but absolutely great uh, if, if, if you do have that option. If you don't have that option, always bear something in mind. A lot of those people in that room at that point do not like networking either. A lot of them are as uncomfortable as you. It's almost like the, the, the spider analogy, you know, it's more scared of you than you are of it. Try to put yourself in a, in a positive mind frame and walk and, and talk to, to, to groups of people. As you go to networking events, you will start to see familiar faces. You will start to see familiar uh, tones. You will start to pick up on some of the common talking points that speakers have been speaking about. And you can use that as a, a, a as sort of an opening sort of conversation starter, right? It's that first conversation starter that is always the most hard. That is always feels the most awkward. That as you kind of get more comfortable in that, everything else sort of fall, starts to fall into place. It is almost at that point of just force yourself to, to speak to someone and, and take it, take an item within the, that, that was being spoken about uh, during one of the, one of the talks, ideally to, to the opposite side of my, my, my earlier slightly unhelpful point, talk to one of the speakers. If they said something that interests you, talk about that. Those speakers will be attending as non-speakers in, in different networks, uh, in different networking events. And those are people you can, you know, speak to then. And as you speak to them, you get introduced to other people and onward and onward and onward. And it all gets a little bit easier. The first two or three are just going to be a little bit painful if if you are if you are the, the type of person like myself. Michelle, advice on networking. I think like both of you, I don't think anybody particularly enjoys it. And I love talking. I love to talk. I love to meet people. I love to be around people. Um, my husband says I never shut up. So, you know, <laughs> it should be easy, but it's not. And to be honest, I think if you set yourself a goal going into these rooms, so if you're going to a networking event, you want a new job or you want to, to kind of meet people in the industry, you say to yourself, right, I'm doing this because I want a new job. I'm doing this because I want to meet people in my circle. Um, and sometimes having that in your head is you're there for a specific cause or a reason does make it a bit easier. Sometimes you, you do get an attendee list in advance, depending on you know the, the type of event that you're going. Can be easy to kind of find people on that list that maybe you want to single out badges are always really helpful um oh I see you work with this company um I worked there once or I know this person who works there do you know that person it's a bit like speed dating you know <laughs> with, with, with you know and it is that sort of way you're trying to find a, a commonality with somebody so me who is terrible with names I find the badges are a great benefit I go to a lot of CPD events because I have CPD hours to maintain they're a bit easier to network because you're sitting in a chair you know so there's always going to be somebody sitting beside you behind you around you that you can greet when they sit down or you know and that's a, a much more natural way to start a conversation Greg's point was great approach the speakers in the room um you know more often than not there's somebody who is, is prominent um or is talking about a subject you've interest in can be hard to kind of get up to get round to them particularly in the first few minutes after after an event but the, you know it's it's not an easy activity but for me I used to set a goal of what what do I want to achieve from this event or why why am I actually going and now don't get me wrong there's always the rush to get your CPD hours done 
but there are other ways. There's lots of industry-led events or, you know, industry bodies that are always looking for volunteers or looking for people to take part in, you know, either research projects or events. So there's lots, like the Compliance Institute has has uh, working groups and things like that, putting yourself forward. Irish funds have some, the, the BPFI and the FPAI, they, they're really good at putting calls out for new members or just you know, expressing an interest and getting involved in something. And, you know, maybe maybe I've done it one too many times. I, I tend to get a lot of re- asks when I come and join these things. And that's a way I've expanded my network. I'm working with my peers on perhaps lobbying the government about something or, you know, doing a research paper on trends in, in banking or, you know, things like that. So there's other ways than just going to the, the kind of mixers and the events. But going back to the education piece as well, using your stu- your fellow students, your lecturers, your faculty, your guest lecturers, um, and you know LinkedIn is definitely a great way of of meeting people. I liked your article; I thought it was really good. You know, sometimes it's a very obvious way of networking, but um, you know, we all like like to uh, be told we've done something good every now and again so <laughs> there are other ways than the traditional going to the mixer um and you know having the drink afterwards and, and trying to, to single somebody out to talk to but as Greg and you've said yourself Siobhan everybody else is feeling a bit uncomfortable too and we all just desperately want somebody to talk to us so maybe find the person standing on their own and start there I think that's really great advice and really practical as well. And I think I would echo on the working group piece. I mean, I've met you guys through the FinTech and Payment Working Group. So um, it's, you know, it's really beneficial to get involved. I know it takes up some extra time, but um, it's really giving something back to the industry and it, it really helps with networking. Might pivot away from networking towards the industry itself and kind of the challenges we're facing over the next kind of one to two years. Greg, do you want to give us kind of your view on some of the challenges fintech are, are facing? I, I'm going to be a very compliance person on this and, and focus on some of the regulatory changes that it might be worth you keeping in mind, especially if you're looking to join the industry because, uh, or you, you're currently in the industry, because that might be one of those elements that sets you apart from um, from your peers. So few key changes coming to the industry. Michelle's mentioned Dora uh, in, in passing. I, I, won't, I won't spend a huge amount of time on it. It, it can't be overstated how, how seismic that, that could be for, for not just the fintech industry, but actually a huge amount of industries. Um, and in building that operational resilience throughout that process is, is going to be a really, really tough task. And it isn't necessarily, a, it's not a strictly compliance task either. It's, it's a very operational uh, and technology-led task, and that is going to be tough for for compliance uh, professionals to sort of get their head around and to to continue to support the business in that process. If you're within the payments and e-money space, which are uh, so some of the regulated firms you get in fintechs, you may have noticed the the increased scrutiny from the Central Bank of Ireland when it comes to safeguarding. In other words, the protection of customer funds and the expectation now of audits going forward. So uh, there, there is there is definitely kind of more specific focus setting on um, certain traditionally fintech firms in this area. Coming down the, the, the line a little bit more long finger, we're looking at PSD3, Payment Services Directive 3 which will be a directive driven by the European authorities and will be pushed into Ireland through that mechanism. And that will continue to to build out the payment services 
regulatory framework. And I, I suppose finally, of course, the, the, the central bank are working on uh, updates to the consumer protection code and, and it does have uh, quite a bit uh, in there that does mirror the FCA's approach to consumer duty. And that is a massive, massive change for how firms approach the totality of their business. And again, not naturally in that uh, a, a compliance task, but actually in a fintech world, you can bet you're going to be pulled into it. I think I'll go at this from the fintech perspective. Obviously, I, you know, with change and regulatory change comes great opportunity um, for fintechs. But I do feel, and you know, this m- might be slightly controversial, but obviously all these regulatory obligations for regulated uh, service providers mean that adopting technology can and is becoming more difficult. I mean, you know, we've got Operation Resilience and Dora, as Greg mentioned, and they put an intense focus on your third party service providers. It, it, it always existed. Let's be realistic. But there's an even you know sharper lens being focused on what you're outsourcing, who you're outsourcing to, um, and particularly to cloud service providers, which most most fintechs and, and regtechs are. So from a fintech perspective, while there is opportunity in this, this also may slow the adoption of of technology down in organizations. And that is a threat to to the fintech industry. So organizations are going to have to balance that we need this technology, but we equally have to get comfortable with it to a, a more higher level than ever ever before. Um, and some of these fintechs might actually, who are not regulated, might actually get pulled under the critical um, outsource provider or critical ICT provider that Dora prescribes. Obviously, Microsoft and the likes will fall within that, but it, it remains to be seen what other organizations might fall under that definition. So it's an interesting time and um, certainly a challenge. We're seeing it already. We're seeing organizations, their you know, requests for proposals, the requests for information, they're heftier and hardier on detail as it relates to our security mechanisms, our cloud providers, due diligence, audits, uh, penetration testing, et cetera. So there is, it's an already in place. They're, they're moving towards it. So it's, it's an additional compliance burden for a fintech or a regtech provider. And beyond that, cyber. Cyber is a problem for everybody. Um, you know, it's it's going to be a persistent threat. It's a number one risk in most organizations. Cyber presents huge issues for companies, um, you know, from you know, personal data, from insurance perspective, from even an operational resilience and, and running perspective, you know, making sure you can get your organization back up and running in the event of an attack. So I do expect we will see more guidance, more regulation in the space and in, in the coming 12, 18, 24 months. You know, we're, we're moving towards wholesale cloud adoption and moving away from pens and paper and things like that. So it's, it's only natural that regulators are looking at where is the data, where the data goes, how is it protected, how is it secured. So I expect that we will see much more. And sadly, I do expect we'll probably see more high profile um, cyber attacks in, in the coming months and years. Given that we've talked a lot about careers and breaking into fintech, I suppose one question I really wanted to wrap up with is talk to me about 
the best piece of career advice you've received. And I'm going to share mine first. So I think my old boss, Carolina Sobias, used to always say, treat your career like a jungle gym. So it's not always linear. You're not always, sometimes you've got to climb across to get up. And I've really applied that. And I think, Michelle, you mentioned earlier, you know, you took a role, maybe lower salary to break into a certain industry. So I've really kind of internalized that in my own career that, you know, it's not always a straight path to exactly the job you want. But I'd love for both of you to share some of the best career advice uh, you've received. So, Michelle, do you want to go first? There's two. For me, there's been two. Um, I had a, a boss in Morgan Stanley, Owen Fitzgerald, who was incredibly influential on my career. And if I'd ask a question, he'd say to me, you know, I know the answer to that. You go and find the answer and come back to me. But what he always did say was, you're surrounded by incredibly intelligent people who know the right answer to questions. Be curious, ask always ask the people there's always somebody smarter than you in the room and it's something that stood to me I'm I'm not afraid to ask a question whereas perhaps you know many moons ago my confidence might have been lacking and I would have been afraid to look a bit silly for asking a question now I'm like right the only one that's silly is the one that's not asked so I ask I'd be curious I lean on the expertise of other people and that's something that has stuck with me but secondly my mother always would have said never turn down an opportunity. Um, so my mother wasn't necessarily um, in the same career as me, but she was a wonderful source of guidance. And, you know, she'd say what's for you won't pass you. And so never turn it down, you know, be it in a dinner or, you know, a project and workplace that maybe I was interested in. You just don't know what door would open for you. So you might be a busy fool doing this. So be careful about what you say yes or no to. But Everything I've learned along the way because of not turning an opportunity down, be it good or bad, um, has given me some level of experience. So now that I'm in a fintech where it is all sort of hands on deck, I can go, God, in my last job, you know, and we had this payroll issue, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't necessarily in my repertoire, but I had picked it up along the way because I got involved. I, I just said, look, give it to me and I'll get it done. So be careful about what you say yes to, but sometimes don't turn down an opportunity that may present either a learning experience or an additional opportunity for you. Great advice. Greg? I, I'm, I, I'm going to go like Michelle here and give you two, one of which is you're never the finished product. And I think that feeds back to, to our whole further education and kind of keeping, keeping on top and keeping up the expertise because this industry moves at a million miles a minute. There is new legislation, there is new skills, there is new onus on you as a compliance officer, and you need to be able to kind of keep that up and understand that you don't know everything. You will never know everything. You can always develop, you can always improve. And then slightly contrary to that is, but back yourself. You will, the compliance professional is a, is, a, is a job that you will get challenged on. You will make a determination and you will be challenged on that determination. As long as you have done what you need to do with that, you've done your research, you've done your risk analysis, back yourself. It, it, it is a room full of smart people and you're one of them. Back your position and, and be confident in, in the pr presentation of that information. 
That is really great advice. So just left for me then is to say thank you to Michelle and Greg for sharing your respective career journeys and personal experiences on the topic. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I do hope you find the podcast interesting and useful. We would be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. And until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.